Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell this story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth. And somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. Welcome back to the Midnight Myth, everybody's favorite history, mythology, philosophy, and how those subjects bubble up into our popular storytelling podcast. As always, I am very excited to be back with another Midnight Myth episode. It's been far too long, dear Midnight Myth listeners, since we recorded an episode, and we decided we needed to do something for Christmas holiday season 2023. And yes, we are going to be doing our episode on Revenge of the Sith. Um, We have that scheduled. We have it planned out. Sadly, we haven't been able to find the time to record it. But here we are realizing that Christmas Eve is only, what, two days away? That's correct. It's Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. As the time we're recording this, we'll probably be publishing this tomorrow on Christmas Eve. We'll be publishing this soon to be listened to in conjunction with whatever you do to celebrate for the holidays. So this is our Midnight Myth Christmas Meditation episode. If you've been listening for a while, a Midnight Myth Meditation is not necessarily a full Midnight Myth episode. It's where one of us has something on our minds, something that we want to talk about. So we take time, we meditate about it, and then we come and we bring it to the podcast. And I'll be honest with you, Since the Midnight Myth started, I've wanted to do this Midnight Myth meditation. And for a whole host of reasons, we haven't gotten to it yet. Some of it being structural, some of it being we've had better ideas for episodes, some of it being Laurel maybe not wanting to talk about it from time to time, if I'm being perfectly honest. But here we are. We are finally going to settle for good and all 
is Die Hard, a Christmas movie. Yes, podcast over. Case closed. No? Okay. I guess we're going to get into it then. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd make for a very, very poor debate, love. Yeah. If we just ended it now. No, that's fair. Yeah, we're definitely not going to edit now. We have a lot to talk about in this meditation. I have a lot to talk about in this meditation. I have so much I want to say about this subject, and I'm really excited to roll up my sleeves and start doing the Midnight Myth treatment on Die Hard and Is It a Christmas Movie? Yay or nay. But before we do that, Laurel, do your thing. Yeah, my thing is just that we would love to hear from you, especially at the holiday season. We love to make those connections. So please, if you're interested in reaching out, say hello. We are on X, I suppose, at The Midnight Myth. It's called Twitter. We're on Twitter, uh, the app formerly known as Twitter, at The Midnight Myth. We're on Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast, and we're on Facebook. We're also on the World Wide Web at MidnightMyth.com, and you can drop us a line there on the contact form. And also, while you're at it, check out our other shows, Sleep and Sorcery and The Wheel of Ka. I couldn't remember what it was called there for a second. No worries. <laughs> um, so if you're having trouble sleeping this time of year, uh, Sleep and Sorcery is a great uh, meditation and sleep story podcast that I produce that is inspired by folklore and fantasy. So check that out. And also get your hands on a copy of the hardcover book, which is out now, or pre-order the uh, paperback, which will be out in August 2024 with an international release. Um, so I would love to have that book in your hands. And, um, you know, if you like what you hear, leave us a rating or a review. If you don't like what you hear, keep it to yourself or tell your enemies. And that's about all I have. Yeah, fun fact, completely unrelated to this topic. I have recently deleted the Twitter app from my phone. I have not deleted my account, but having it off of my phone meant and means that I am pretty much never checking it. And I made that decision after a certain billionaire who purchased the app Twitter, now called X, said some really horrible things about Jewish people on it, and I've decided that I don't really want to be on it anymore. I haven't been able to fully delete my account because I'm still kind of addicted to it and love talking to the cool people that I do talk to on there, but I'm no longer checking it. Are you over on threads? I am over on threads. I'm not doing a ton there either. I did for a little while, but yeah, I'm like winding down the social media part of me. You can still find me out there. I'd still love to hear from you. But anyway, I digress. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I don't think there's any reason to recap Die Hard. We've all seen it. John McClane, the cop, travels to see his estranged wife in Los Angeles. Terrorists that turn out to be robbers, led by the vicious Hans Gruber, are there. And one by one, John McClane takes them out, first reluctantly, then enthusiastically. Recap done. Yep, hijinks ensue. I love it. You know, we don't really need to recap this one. We've all seen it. And plus, this is a meditation. Um... I want to kick this off by saying a few things initially, if that's okay. I really tried to find when the discourse around Die Hard being a Christmas movie, yay or nay, started. And who was the first one to produce it? That question, where did it come from? What platform was it on? And I got to be honest with you, I fell down a rabbit hole trying to figure out who was the first person online 
who said, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And I couldn't find it. So listeners, if you know when this debate started, please find us through our Midnight Myth social media channels and tell us and let us know. But I couldn't. It's almost like the question has never been there and has always been there at the same time. There were, the best I could find was a Reddit thread that was trying to get to the bottom of it that quickly devolved into everyone just saying whether they thought it was or wasn't a Christmas movie and not trying to find the answer of who first asked it. Some people thought it happened on a sitcom, but then other people dug and said, no, it, the conversation was happening, so then it went to the sitcom. But at some point, the movie came out in the, oh my God, I forget. It was in the late 70s, early 80s. I forget the exact date that it came out. It came out in the summer as a summer action blockbuster. And there it stayed for quite some time. And then sometime in the digital age, it got out there into the interwebs that people wanted to discuss whether it is or is not a Christmas movie. And both sides can discuss their side quite enthusiastically and sometimes not politely either, very much demanding that they're in the absolute right that Die Hard is 100% a Christmas movie or 100% not a Christmas movie. Indubitably, this debate comes out of the digital age. This is a debate about people networked on smart devices having a conversation about a movie beyond the original authorial intent behind it. And now we are in this world where seemingly every December, this gets relitigated time and time again. I will fully admit in the issue of transparency, if you dig deep into my social media, you will find me arguing quite emphatically one way or another, usually that it's not a Christmas movie. And I feel like I've gone through this incredible journey through the midnight myth. I've gone through this incredible journey through the wheel of Ka and helping see Laurel do what she has done in sleep and sorcery, that I'm a completely different consumer and critic of art than I was when I wrote the things so many years ago when I first got into is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not. And now I really want to investigate this question with a pure open mind and an open heart. I don't know. I've done a lot of thinking about this because that's why it's a meditation. I've been thinking about this for a while. I don't know ultimately where I'm going to land. I'm hopeful that this conversation will guide me. And I do think this conversation though the way it's mostly done online is not an important one, but I do think it is a very important question. So with all that being stated, all that preamble, anything you want to add? Uh, just that I do have a vague recollection of the guys over at Stuff You Should Know, Josh and Chuck, discussing this very debate on one of their Christmas specials, and I think they may have gotten to the bottom of where it began but I can't quite remember. So if I can dig up that episode, I will share that on our app formerly known as Twitter uh, because they, they're usually pretty good at getting their research assistants to scrape the internet. So maybe they figured that out. And, maybe. And to be fair, I have a day job. So saying that I, I tried, I didn't invest hours and hours of time. I, I didn't invest days and days of time. But I did we invest like hours and hours. We weren't like diving deep into the dark web, like 
I've never even been on the dark web, so <laughs> nobody downloaded any Tor browsers. I, yeah, I don't. I don't even know how to get on the dark web. So yeah, I'm just on the regular web. But I couldn't find. But it is. It's clearly something that my generation online started this question, and it has clearly taken off. Um, so I'm ready to begin. Just real quickly, you are not as big a fan of the movie Die Hard as I am. Is that fair to say? You've only seen it twice. Yeah, that's absolutely fair to say. The second time that I saw it was last night. And, you know, you were just saying about the Midnight Myth kind of changing your perspective and the the kind of art critic and consumer that you've become. And mine has too in, I think, a different way, but a complementary way. And my attitude towards Die Hard as a movie, I think, is pretty indicative of this. Because before the Midnight Myth Project, I was very much a film school snob, and I was like, this particular subset of movies in the foreign, you know, movies that are quote-unquote high cinema are the only things that I will give the time of day, and something that the Midnight Myth has allowed me to broaden my horizons on are questions of genre and movies that are outside of my general comfort zone and have given me the permission and the space to find the joy and the beauty in movies that I would normally not have given a fair shake. And Die Hard is one of those movies that I would never have even watched had it not been for this question of whether it's a Christmas movie for one and also for the Midnight Myth Project because action movies in particular have never been something that really appealed to me. I'm just a person who when I see like explosions and big fights, I start to kind of check out and that actually is kind of boring to me, even though it's supposed to be the most exciting and thrilling kind of cinematic thing imaginable. But in a movie like Die Hard, which is so impeccably scripted, like if you, I would love to get my hands on a copy of the screenplay just to read through it because it is like a piece of theater just in terms of how intricately it is Uh, put together how many like Chekhov's lighters there are, how every little detail, whether that's character or prop um, or design, every single thing comes back in a meaningful way. And then the action is propelled by character and it is very much following in this logical and compelling story arc. So that all that is to say, like, it's an awesome Die movie. Die Hard is a freaking incredible it's movie. It's an awesome movie, yeah. And I'm just really grateful that I have been able to kind of shake off my film school snobbery and not be such an a-hole about it. So I, that I, I can love appreciate that for you. movies like that. I love that for you. And and also, just a shout out to our friend M on Verbal Diorama, whose Christmas episode was also about Die Hard. So if you want to learn about the history, the legacy, how the screenplay got developed what this movie meant for action movies going forward and how actors got paid going forward. Go ahead and listen to her episode. It was eye-opening for me. Phenomenal. We won't, I will obviously will not be able to tell that story the way M does it because M is the best at what she does. But please go listen to her episode if you want to dive into how was Die Hard made, what did it mean to be made, and what it meant for the film industry going forward because it is this sort of watershed moment for action movies they were never the same after Die Hard, which is pretty awesome, and it's a pretty good legacy to have. All that being stated, I'd like to ask you point blank, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes or no, and why? Just because you gave me yes or no and point blank, I'm going to say yes. 
my preface to this or my caveat to this is that I am not terribly passionate about my side in this debate. I can, can I just interrupt real yeah. quick? It, it doesn't have to be passionate, but can you say definitively, yes, it's a Christmas movie. And what's the criteria by which you say, yes, it's a Christmas movie. My sense of it is it's a Christmas movie for a number of reasons. It takes place at Christmas it has many of the trappings of Christmas, like Christmas carols in many forms. Lots of people say Merry Christmas. A Christmas party is the backdrop for the event. And also it has some of the more universal themes that we would associate with Christmas, which granted appear in many genres, but we have a family member trying to get home for Christmas, a family trying to reunite. That is absolutely a hallmark of many Christmas movies and the classic Christmas carol, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And we have this kind of sense of, you know, I'm going to go sort of deep cut here, but if you think about like the history of St. Nicholas, this is a, a figure from the Middle Ages who was concerned with justice, even in the cases where that had to be doled out in sort of grotesque ways. I could get more into that if you want, but... I, I, I would like you to. Okay. So St. Nicholas, who we now know as Santa Claus, was a... I, and forgive me, I'm going without notes right now. I'm just kind of going off the cuff, but he was St. Nicholas of Miro, Mira, uh, Greek... Um, or Myrna. Greek uh, saint. He was canonized after his death, of course, who was known for a couple of miracles... One of the things that he is known for that gets him associated with Santa Claus later is that there was a poor family in his town, a man who had three daughters, and they had no money for dowries, so these three daughters were going to have to essentially go out on the street and sell their bodies. And St. Nicholas, Nicholas at the time was just like, I cannot stand for that. These women, you know, deserve to have, you know, respect, and I want to ensure that they are taken care of. So... Each night, over three nights, he snuck into their house and left gold coins under their pillows uh, so that they could pay for dowries to get husbands. Um, you know, very ancient sort of um, attitudes toward femininity and feminism and whatnot, but that's how we get the idea of St. Nicholas sneaking into your house at night and giving you gifts. That's amazing. I did not know that. So the other miracle that he is known for that is totally weird is... There were these children who went missing in his village after visiting with this butcher or this, uh, you know, this food maker. And St. Nicholas went to this guy because that was the last place that they were seen. Um, and this guy had un unknownst to the village, taken the children, killed them, chopped them up and put them in a barrel full of salt, which is the thing that you would do to preserve your meat in the Middle Ages. So he basically pickled these children in barrels. And St. Nicholas shows up and is like, what do you got in those barrels? I'll take what's in those barrels. And the guy is like, oh no, I've been found out. And then St. Nicholas magically resurrects the children and unpickles them and brings them back to life. And therefore he becomes a saint. Um, so it, it's weird, but I just thought I would bring that up because this is a, a character who is into restorative justice and, you know, giving bad guys their due. 
And in, from a certain perspective, some Christmas stories could be weird. They don't all have to be white Christmas, fluffy, hallmarky, Macy's parade they can be weird and dark and still be Christmas. Absolutely. And here we've got a guy who's creeping around in the vents, very similar to a chimney. Um, you know, I think John McClane is an unconventional kind of Santa Claus, but St. Nicholas is also an unconventional kind of Santa Claus, if you really think about it. And the last reason I will say Die Hard is a Christmas movie is because it is, for many people, a Christmas ritual. I understand that maybe this was not the intent of the creators of the film because I know for a fact that they did not initially intend to set it at Christmas. That was a change that was made in the script later. But if over time something becomes a Christmas ritual and it is widely adopted by people, I think that qualifies it to be a Christmas movie. So while I am not someone who is going to like passionately debate this on the internet, I'm not interested in taking away someone's Christmas tradition. Yeah, but so to to that respect, like I'm not going to passionately debate uh, people who are anti-Semitic on the internet because I'm not going to engage them at all, right? Like, so just because you're not going to passionately engage something on the internet doesn't mean that the debate isn't worth having. I feel like it's a strange caveat. The caveat is like, hey, I think it is a Christmas movie, but I don't want to go to to the mattresses over it is is fine. But like, we don't want to go to the, this is the midnight myth. We don't want to, we're not engaged in online trolling verbal combat over our positions anyway, to begin with. So I think fans of this show know that de facto, right? So I want to, I want to say, I, I appreciate your perspective. Um, I think, I think it's an interesting one. So a few things that I want to to share in that perspective that you have I found this film critic online named James King. Never heard of him before. And he says, quote, Die Hard is a Christmas movie now, but it didn't start as one. Back in 1988, when it was released in the summer, I don't think anyone thought it was a festive film. Sure, it had a seasonal setting, but it was hardly warm and cuddly. But over time, the fans have embraced its Christmas background and reinterpreted it as a Yuletide classic. That's what's great about brilliant films. They don't have to be just one thing. I think that's a comment sort of in line with what you are saying. It can be multiple things to multiple people, and the fans have demanded that it be a Christmas movie, hence it's a Christmas movie. Quite funny and famously, Bruce Willis was roasted on Comedy Central, and he went up and he gave his opinion about whether Die Hard is or is not a Christmas movie, and he said... Quote, it's a goddamn Bruce Willis movie, which of course is a joke, you know, but that was his take on it. Um, this debate, though, some people want to say the fans have demanded it as a Christmas movie, hence it's a Christmas movie. There have been people that have polled this. There have been a few different polls, one in the UK, one in America, and it's like 50-50. So it is by no stretch of the imagination a definitive, overwhelmingly people say it's a Christmas movie because the people that have studied the public opinion on it, public opinion split. So if we're going to say ultimately the Christmas movie is in the will of the majority, it's democratic. If everyone says it's a Christmas movie, it's a Christmas movie. Well, everyone doesn't say that 
Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So we can't use that argument to say definitively it's a Christmas movie. But then this kind of hit me when we were listening to another podcast that was deconstructing the idea of belief and that belief as the death of intelligence. And that once you come to passionately believe something, you, start th you stop thinking, you stop involving. So instead of believing, this podcast suggested that we suppose. And this is where I started to reimagine this question. Oh, that podcast is called, help me out. Adventures in Utopia, and I want to credit the philosopher who this idea of belief as the death of intelligence is Robert Anton Wilson. He also Thank said you. at the end of his life, uh, I don't believe anything, but I have my suspicions. So this started getting me thinking. When we are asking the question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? What are we presupposing? What are the questions behind the questions that we take as given so that we can have the debate? So how this works is, if I say I'm sitting in a chair, the presupposition is anyone listening to me knows what a chair is and knows what sitting is. If you don't know what a chair is and you don't know what sitting is, I can't tell you I'm sitting in a chair and have you understand what I mean. So when I say I'm sitting in a chair, I presuppose you know what a chair is and what sitting is. Um, you could take a step further and say, you know what I am versus you. But that being stated, what is the question behind the question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Well, there's a free few things. One, we have to say first, what is a Christmas movie? Well, a Christmas movie is a genre of movies. Well, then we have to then step a step back and, like, and ask ourselves the other question. What does it mean to have a genre of movies? What does it mean for there to be genres in general in art? Where does the concept of genre come from? Who has the authority to stipulate this is in genre A and genre B? And furthermore, that these are the parameters that separate genre A and genre B. And how does this whole thing work? Because we must first establish what a genre of a movie is before we can establish what a Christmas genre is, which is then before we can establish is Die Hard a Christmas movie. And this is where I started really meditating. How can we figure out if Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not? What's the best argument? And it comes back to understanding genre. So that's where I would like to begin with my meditation. What, in fact, is a genre? So according to a philosopher named Fairclough, he published this in 2003, a text genre may be, may be determined by its, one, linguistical function, two, formal traits, three, textual organization, four, relation of communicative situation to formal and organizational traits of the text. So there's a lot to unpack there. So one, linguistical function. What's it trying to say? What's the function of it? Die Hard, I think, is trying to entertain us. It's trying to keep us feeling suspenseful. It's trying to keep us at the edge of its seat. Formal traits, it's a movie. It has a script. It has a director. It has actors. 
it was it's designed for profit. It's designed to make money. These are its formal traits. Textual organization. This one's a little harder to pin down with a movie. What's the textual organization? One could say it's the script. That is where the text comes from. But then we start to think of the movie itself as a form of text. And then how is that organized? And if we think of the things jumping out at us about Die Hard, that it's organized, it's violent. I think that is the predominant organizational principle. This is a text in which people need to respond to threat with violence. The more violent you are, the more successful you are. To a point, the more violent and the more clever. There, does, there seems to be this almost... Um, uh, Odyssean level of cleverness, the way Odysseus is constantly um, confronting monsters, bigger, meaner, tougher, more magical than him. But Odysseus is clever enough to work his way out of it, but still very much a might meets right meets brains. And John McClane is both physically dominant when he needs to be, but also clever when he needs to be to kind of outwit this. And then lastly, relation of communicative situation to formal and organized traits of the text. I think in how I relate this with Die Hard, that is a comparison of Die Hard to other movies. Comparing Die Hard, its formalized traits to other forms of the text, is how does Die Hard compare to other movies trying to communicate in the same linguistical function with formal traits and textual organizations. From this perspective, I think Die Hard makes a very ill Christmas movie, right? Because you look at the things most commonly defined as Christmas movies. One, violence is not a major theme in Christmas movies. This would be one of, if only, if it is a Christmas movie, this is one of or only ones in which Violence is the mechanism by which situations get resolved. Uh, two, from the Odyssean perspective, it's more like an epic poem where this character needs to descend into the darkest layers possible only to overcome the both literal and metaphorical ogres that, or wizards or witches that are impending him from reuniting with his family. Um, so it's more, it shares more with Odysseus in the theme of that family. It's more like the Odyssey than it is like other more, what we think of quote unquote, more traditional Christmas movies. And lastly, if we're comparing this to other texts, it really shares more in common. If we want to say, cause it's, it's an action movie, right? We want to say, what else is it beyond an action movie? The genre that it's most compared to, to me would be the Western. One, it's about a character going from East to West, as in most Western movies are. Two, the person is a lawman. Three, they're outside of their jurisdiction and have to act reluctantly at first outside of traditional forms of law enforcement until they must take the law into their own hands and do so to do what? Save a damsel in distress, which is his wife which is, you know, and so to me, if we're doing the textual comparison, 
it seems to be an ill-fitted Christmas movie. It seems to be more like an action movie, more similar to the Clint Eastwood and John Wayne, you know, Westerns of old than it does to other Christmas movies. So I think if we take a look at this four-step, how do we determine a genre, I feel like Die Hard doesn't really fit. Any thoughts? Well, yippee ki mother um, you know, I, I really absolutely agree that Die Hard fits very closely with Western conventions. And I think you laid out a lot of those really well. You've also got the fact that the Nakatomi Plaza is in some ways frontier. It's unfinished. It's underdeveloped. There are parts of it that are very finished and feel like city and civilization. And then there are other parts that feel like the Wild West. And then, of course, there are many times when... Um, John McClane refers to himself as Roy or talks about Roy Rogers as a hero of his and Hans Gruber calls out John Wayne and other similar... Um, Roy Rogers. Yeah, Roy Rogers. Yeah. He even takes the name of a cowboy, Roy Rogers, at one point. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> oh, wow, sorry. Um, but yeah, so I, I absolutely agree. I think that is is very astute. Um, I, I I will just push back in the the space of you know, comparing it to other genres that it fits better, just by saying that while I think genre definition can be helpful and categories can be helpful for us, they are not the be-all, end-all of something. Um, there are some ways in which just trying to rigidly categorize things in genres just puts things unnecessarily in boxes. I feel like Westerns can look very different from each other. Action movies can look vastly different from each other and genres can cross. You know, we talked great about point. other great action movies like The Matrix and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which are also sci-fi. And then there are movies like Alien, which is it sci-fi, is it horror, is it action? And so I, I think getting too in the weeds with what genre is to answer this question, while very helpful in kind of academic practice, is not necessarily reflective of reality. It's really just a helpful exercise. All right, so I'm glad that you said that because there's a few questions there that I do want to get to that I think are worth. So this is me taking this one person's four things and applying it to Die Hard. I'm not saying that is the only way to look at it, but I'm saying based upon this one person's definition of genre and how to apply it die hard does not fit the christmas movie mold but i do think it's worth going another step further so the next step further is where did the word genre come from it's greek it started with plato and plato divided literature into three genres and that was uh, uh three genres poetry drama and prose and then poetry he broke it down into epic lyrical and drama Aristotle later played on these as he wrote the Poetics, which was in the ancient world the definitive text on how people related to art. So there was for a long time a Platonic and then Aristilian view on art that classical education permeated going forward. Now, flash forward to the 20th century, a thing called postmodernism started to happen. And postmodernism originally came out as a literary discourse. The way people were discussing literature 
from a modern lens, people started to view it as inherently problematic. And a big part of that was, hey, why are we people who have lived beyond the Enlightenment, beyond modernity, bound to what Aristotle said? So why can't we decentralize this and why can't we come up with our own modes and means of thinking? So postmodernism started as a literary. It can be defined as a, and I'm going to quote Wikipedia here, um, which is not the greatest source out there, but I just want to say that an intellectual stance or mode of discourse characterized by suspicion about the use of reason and logic, skepticism towards what it considers the quote, grand narratives end quote of modernity rejection of a certainty of knowledge and the stability of meaning and sensitive to the role of ideology in maintaining political power. So postmodernism is about the idea that the knowledge of old was designed to build the systems of old, which were inherently political in nature, and they aren't necessarily indicative of reality. And we are allowed to deconstruct these things and interpret them for ourselves. So you have in this postmodern lens, this deconstruction of what it means to be a traditional genre. Who says all poetry must fit into these neat buckets? And hence from Greek poetry, we have all of Western art kind of deriving from that in a very broad brush. So who says that this is the way it could be? Why can't a Christmas movie have violence as the main motive and the main way that conflict is resolved in the characters in a Christmas movie. Why can't that be the case? And so from that postmodern lens, you have the ability subjectively as the, as the movie goer to imbibe Christmas into whatever you want. You know, and we can take this a, another step forward too and stop me if you have any, any thoughts on it. So I started diving deep into the philosophy of language. And so there was this, right at the, right at the start of postmodernism, no one was calling it postmodernism, a Russian philosopher of language called Mikhail Bakhtin. I totally mispronounced that. Um, I apologize. And I'm just going to put myself on blast. I'm a history guy. I'm a primary source guy. So if I'm going to talk about a thing, I want to say that I have read all of that thing. I've never read this man's work, but I'm reading what other people have wrote about it. So I'm quoting nothing but secondary sources. That's not how I normally roll. This is a meditation. But I just have to say, I don't have time it, between work and everything to read a whole book on philosophy of language before we could get this episode out, but I definitely want to do it. And he has this idea called heteroglossia. Right, so heteroglossia, it's about the coexistence of distinct varieties within a single language. So in Greek, hetero meaning different, and glossia meaning tongue or language. The idea being that this guy said all of linguistics got it wrong. Linguistics is about centralizing how language works within spheres of knowledge, when in reality, all language is a conflict between centralization and decentralization, right? So modes of speaking or writing that people learn to mimic, weave together, and manipulate each other by a particular culture or community. 
What this means is even how we describe literary genres will evolve and change over time. Speaking it causes it to exist. So by speaking, it is a Christmas movie. The context, the decentralized context of the speaker imbibes that with meaning that as long as there's another receiver of that, it then becomes true. And he argues that this is how all language works. So by me speaking, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, whether that's digitally, physically, smoke signals, doesn't matter. And someone else receiving it and saying back, yes, it's a Christmas movie, we have then locked it in and boom, it becomes a Christmas movie. Okay, I'm obsessed with this, but this just pinged some stuff in my mind because one of the first debates that we had here on the Midnight Myth Meditation, which we've been doing since I want to say the summer, where we've really just been loosening up and talking about these, these topics that are a little more nebulous and, and disconnected from our movies or our pop culture, was the debate about myths versus folklore. And so we got really deep into the weeds on what mythology and what folklore are. And what you're describing with the decentralization of language, which I, I fully love that perspective on linguistics because language is a living, breathing organism and dictionaries are one thing, but no dictionary actually perfectly reflects how the multitude of people who speak a language speak that language. And then there are so many languages that survive only in oral form and are only communicated through the people who use that language. And that language is in its own way a type of folklore. And the way that language changes and evolves over time, the way words will evolve to mean different things or will have 10, 15 layers of meaning based on the history and mythology that a culture carries, that is folklore. So if folklore and language are these informally transmitted traditions, these informally transmitted pieces of traditional culture, and speaking Die Hard as a Christmas movie into the world makes Die Hard in one facet of the world a Christmas movie, makes it so among a folk group, whether that is a family who watch it every year at Christmas because it's their favorite tradition, or a group of people who love to get together on a Reddit thread and debate it, even the debate, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, is Christmas traditional culture now, is Christmas folklore, is something that comes back time and again and permutates and changes and evolves and is returned to again and again and again. So I am interested in this idea of not Die Hard being a piece of folklore, not Die Hard being a folktale, because Die Hard is a movie written by a screenwriter, directed by a director and starring Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman, but Die Hard and the way in which it is ritualized is Christmas folklore. So... Love that you said that. Just a real quick quote from this philosopher that his, his view of linguistics is the primacy of context over text. Right? So the context is what matters more so than the text. So this is why I think the question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, really matters. Because on one hand, there's traditional modernity thinking that when you apply that reasoning to genre, 
would preclude Die, Car- Die Hard from a Christmas movie quite harshly, right? Quite like distinctly, distinctly and harshly, that could not be a Christmas movie. Then post-modernity says, well, no, we can include that in a Christmas movie if we say it is a Christmas movie. Now, we are all, you and I, when I say we are all, and if you're listening to us, you're probably roughly around our age. My guess is most people that listen to The Midnight Myth are college educated or at least have done some college work. We are all products of a postmodernist education. Whether or not we were told that when we went to school or not, uh, especially secondary education, whether we were told that when we went to college is irrelevant. Almost every professor is a postmodernist professor. And if you have a professor that's not postmodernist, they're going to tell you, I'm not postmodernist. And they're going to be very proud of that fact. And so while we are inclined, have been educated and geared to postmodernism, to me, that is not a, that is not a, a check mark that it is, in fact, absolutely true. The problem with postmodernism, in particular as it's applied to media analysis, is it deconstructs the very concept that there can be a truth. It says there is no authority by which truth can derive. It is one's own subjective interpretation of truth that matters. That has been problematic when applied to our world. If you don't believe me, talk to a conspiracy theorist who says this is the truth as they see it, and we should not deny their truth. The conspiracy theorist believes that what they see, what they feel subjectively as they interpret the facts is true, even though compared to raw reality, it does not hold up. So at the heart of the is the diehard a Christmas movie is the conflict between modernity and postmodernity. Can we say something is objectively one thing or not? And if Die Hard is a Christmas movie to those who subjectively say it is, have we also said there are no genres? Have we also then said, and do we want to actually live in that world? Do we want to live in a world where Ridley Scott's Napoleon is a comedy? How do we then organize our thoughts around talking about media? How do we then organize our thoughts around talking about anything? Is there no difference between history, philosophy, and mythology? Let alone then metaphysics, economics, sociology, linguistics. What, what, to what end do we push postmodernity to the point where we say there is no knowledge at all? And that is why this question fascinates me because at the core of it, behind all of the online rage posting, it is, it isn't, it is, it isn't, there is a huge debate about the tension between modernity and postmodernity. And while postmodernity needed to happen because we couldn't be living our lives based upon just what Plato and Aristotle said, but should we be throwing them out? Should we not consider what they had said about genre? Surely they didn't say it because they had no reason for it. So I am skeptical about interjecting postmodernity into everything. Necessary as it is, useful as it is, uh, fascinating as it is, and revolutionary as it has been. My question is, is, is has it and can it go too far? Is Die Hard being a Christmas movie 
pushing it too far. Very interesting. There's two things that I want to add to that, and I don't know if I'm going to answer your question. They're just things that I thought would add a little bit of dimension to that, and that's that with this debate taking on such postmodern form, and of course, Die Hard coming out in 1988, you know, deep beyond modernity and into much beyond postmodernity. Um, we also have a film that is constructed perfectly according to the conventions laid out in Aristotle's Poetics and the three-act structure from which it is derived. So there are certainly conventions that have hung around um, in terms of dramatics and the way that stories are constructed. And then also the other thing that I wanted to add to this is when it comes to the passionate and vitriolic debate, once again, Robert Anton Wilson, who said that belief is the death of intelligence, reminded us to beware of certainty, beware of absolute certainty. So you're talking about whether or not there can be an objective truth. And the thing is, all of our truths are contextual, just like language. It is very much shaped by our experiences in the world. So if someone comes at you with absolute certainty, Die Hard is, Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie, maybe we want to interrogate what context is leading them to make that decision because certainty, mm, I don't know. I don't believe anything. I have my suspicions again. I think that's where I'm at too. I, I think there's also, there's, the Christmas genre and we, well, as we have been debating, but there's also a individual person, family, community, subculture or cultural rituals. And if Die Hard, you said this at the beginning, Die Hard is part of your Christmas ritual. God bless. Like that's phenomenal. Like I actually love that. I want to watch Die Hard every Christmas too. We just did watch. We literally Die Hard just watched Christmas. it. Yeah. We, I, I, so like whatever becomes part of the way you want to express or celebrate that ritual of Christmas, the how you do it within your own family, I have. As long as you're not hurting anybody, you have my blessing. A one hundred percent. But I I do I do think, and I and I think you're right. I think there is no one way to say yes or no to this question. It depends on your perspective. It depends how you view genre. It depends how you want to view genre. It depends how you were educated. It depends where you came from. Probably how old you are. Probably your religion and your, you know, your adherence to particular views of what Christmas is. I imagine there's not too many very Orthodox Catholics or born-again Christians that want to think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I could be wrong but about that. But maybe there are, yeah. Yeah, I could be totally wrong about that. I'm just imagining that, you know, people that Christmas being a very important religious ritual probably aren't watching a movie about a cowboy killing people. <laughs> you know, like, I just imagine that's probably not happening. Um, again, if you are one of those communities and want to correct me, please tell me why I'm wrong. I'd love to hear that. That being stated, I do think going back to uh, where this all came from, which is the writings of Plato and Aristotle. I think there's a difference between Aristophanes and Homer. I think there's a tangible difference. I don't think they're the same thing. And I think creating an idea of like, what makes those different? Why are they different? Aristophanes, if you're not aware, is a uh, ancient Greek playwright who wrote comedies like The Clouds versus Homer, who wrote the epic poems of the Iliad and Odyssey, or maybe he was just the first person to write them down. He didn't really compose them. We're not really sure. 
I think there's a tangible difference. They were written centuries apart. One was designed to be a play. One was designed to be recited as a poem. One Aristophanes is just full of boner jokes. Just it's boner jokes, boner jokes, boner jokes. And making fun of Socrates. Yeah. And trying to make you laugh. Whereas uh, Homer is establishing a military and intellectual ethos that would define Greek and then Roman manhood or for until Christianity for like a thousand years. I mean, I, you already said that John McClane is an Odysseus type. Like he's still in the image of Homer. So I, I, I think there is a tangible difference. I think there's a reason why we say aesthetically this is not the same as that. Die Hard will never be a music video. It'll never be a music video. There's music in it. it there, there's, there's rap music. There's rock music. There's Christmas music. There's Beethoven's Ode to Joy. But it'll never be a music video. And if someone goes out online and says, I think Die Hard's now a music video, would that be pushing the postmodernist ethos too far? Yeah. It, it, so there is a limit to the decentralization of truth. So I think it's high time we do what all the postmodernists did, which was look at our postmodernist teachers, say we love you, thank you for all that incredible knowledge, but you absolutely got it wrong, and we want to do better next time. I love it. I love it. Gen Z, come save us. Help. <laughs> come up with a new way of thinking. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, yes, maybe yes, maybe no. So this is where I stand. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? It depends on your perspective. And we don't necessarily have the literary, linguistical genre to untangle this mess. I think that conversation is important. It's just beginning and we have to push post-postmodernism to figure it out. Well said. And until next time, be kind. Yippee-ki-yay, Merry Christmas.